2: welcome to another episode of the points in the paint podcast as always presented by stadium and now being recorded with cameras and zach you have a new <laughs> camera i'm ben yeah, dude.
0: and i'm zach badger how's welcome to points Paint.
2: we're doing this on camera now so again we tried this last week worked pretty well so this week we're doing it again we got cameras um, so we'll be posting clips of stuff that we say online. You can follow us at Point Paint. Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us a rate. Give us a like, give us a, a comment, whatever you want to do. We'd love to hear from five you. Stars, um, and then, five stars. Exactly. Give us some five stars, and you subscribe, you get this podcast right away when it drops in the morning. We have a guest on this week, Caitlin Cooper. She is an SB Nation writer. She writes for Indie Cornrows, the uh, Indiana Pacers blog on SB Nation. So uh, we are very much looking forward to talking to Caitlin uh, this week. But, Zach, let's start this week as we do every single week with our big story of the week. Our top story tonight. But this week we have two stories of the week because we couldn't just talk about the Knicks. We have to talk about Steph Curry as well. But let's just start with the Knicks for a second because they are finally creating some buzz. And I know in the past, Zach, we've talked about the Knicks. We've talked about how they're getting better. We've talked about how people aren't paying as much attention to them. Yep. But now people seem to be paying a lot of attention to the Knicks. And it seems like the buzz is really starting to feel like where the Knicks were in the early 2010s with Carmelo J.R. Smith. What's going on with the Knicks? They've won six in a row.
0: The New York Knicks. And the New York Knicks fan base, let me tell you something. When the Knicks are winning... Man, it's like you know how Dallas Cowboys are as it relates to football and NFL. I kind of compare that fan base, the, the Dallas Cowboy fan base. I compare that fan base to New York Knicks. All it takes is a little bit of winning, just a small sample size of winning for New York Knicks, and yeah, man, let me tell you, the expectations just go through the roof. We're gonna we're gonna beat Brooklyn. We're gonna be better than Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Nets, they got Kyrie and all these boys. But in, all, but in all seriousness, the true reason why the Knicks are good and have been playing so well, most improved player of the year, obviously, Julius Randle. I think he's obviously the main reason. He's elevated his game like no other. Like, no one expected that. We literally laugh about the New York Knicks since we have started this podcast. So when we bring up the Knicks in a good way, we have to almost apologize to the New York Knicks fan base because we we sold them out, you know, early on in the season. Look where they are. They're about six or in the playoff hunt right now. They're they're what four games above five hundred. They've won like six in a row. They've covered like nine times in a row, yeah. as you mentioned. So yeah, they've played exceptionally well. Kudos yeah. to Drew Randall.
2: They're making they're making people money. Uh, Julius Randle is playing an insanely good, not even just a stretch, but he's playing. He's had a great year. And people at the start of the season, you know, they're saying, well, we'll see how this handles. We'll see how he handles the rest of the season. He had a hot start, but it turns out his hot start is just an indication of what he was going to do for the rest of the season. He's been playing great. He's one of the. He is the biggest reason the Knicks are going to probably make the playoffs this year. Um, Tom Thibodeau has done a great job coaching. The team has an identity as a defensive-minded, defense-first type of team. And they do look like a a serious player in the playoffs. Now, they're probably not going to make the NBA championship. They're probably not going to win a title this year.
0: Don't tell the Knicks fans that, though.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But they're a young team. So they have the building blocks, finally, a good base where they can actually build upon and become the New York Knicks team that I think the New York Knicks fans want this team to become eventually.
0: Yeah, you know, last week, Julius Randle averaged about 35, eight and six. He's player of the week last week, along with obviously Steph Curry, who we're going to get into. And he had kind of like a revenge tour in a sense too, when you think about it with you Randle, uh, Ben, because he played against the Pelicans, a team that he played against. He played against a guy who's left-handed, you know, dominant in the paint, and Zion, and he held his own and won the game with 32 points and like eight boards. Then he goes up against the Lakers, and we know he got drafted by the Lakers. And he goes out and get 34 points and 10 boards and get a dub against Los Angeles Lakers. Now we all know that AD and LeBron is out, but that's still good for you know a guy with conf with the confidence level to continue to increase from a guy like Julius Randle. And I gotta mention that RJ Barrett, his shooting, we all know that that's been a, a disaster from uh. From him so far rj Barry. but now he's elevated his mm-hmm. his uh, three-point percentage to about 38 percent of these last few games and so that's something you want to see from him being a year two guy and a lot of people had already kind of counted him out compared to zion who he came in with
2: yeah rj's been a lot better recently and he definitely started the season with a rough patch but i mean his last 10 games that he's played in so basically all of april 16 points a game 53 percent from three 47% from the field. The guy has been playing so much better on the other side of the All-Star break. And, you know, we talk about Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau, but R.J. Barrett's emergence, especially in clutch moments, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, he's a big reason that this Knicks team is finding success.
0: Yeah, you got to You got to Kudos to also the acquisition of Derek Rose. I think him being alongside with Emmanuel Quickly and that veteran, having that veteran leadership brought in from uh, by uh Tom Thibodeau having his guy, you know he loves Rose, so having Rose come in and lead that second unit, he does uh, Rose does a great job with that. I think he had about twenty some odd points in his last game, and so you know just having all these different pieces and all come together for the New York Knicks, Ben, the future
2: <laughs> is bright for
0: the New York Knicks. It's crazy. crazy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy to say that, and I know we've said it a couple times, but this is where it actually feels kind of real that. <laughs> The Knicks the are, playoffs like, are getting here.
0: Like the playoffs are getting closer. They're going to possibly more than likely be there. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy to think about a playoff Knicks team and the fact that they have the young pieces too. And the fact that they have a team that is set up now to build for the future. It's bright. New York's bright. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to Steph because Zach, he's been hot. And we saw this in the last couple games where he's gone off for 40. He went off for 53 The man is playing out of his mind right now. He's shooting 53% from three in his last 10 games, 41 points a game in his last 10 games. So April has been an insane month for Steph Curry. People are actually talking about him making an MVP move. And right now he's like fourth in the list of MVPs. I don't know if we're feeling Steph MVP, but it's been really impressive what he's been doing recently. Recency is something else, isn't it?
0: Isn't it? (laughs) Not, not the full not the full layout of the full layout body of work you know just the recency okay sure the last 10 games 15 20 games whatever however you want to dissect it yes Steph Curry has had an incredible season these these last 10 games have been phenomenal the shots he has made like he had a double team he had a double team against Philly comes up the court says damn the double team just shoots 33 feet makes it all net just to close out the game. And it's just like he has, what, four games with, like, 10 plus threes in this stretch. So it's insane. We all know he's the greatest shooter of all time. Like, there's no need to even, like, say otherwise. We all know between him, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, like, those guys are the greatest shooters. However, MVP, yeah, he's done it twice, but I don't think he's gonna he can get this one. It's, no. just too, it's just too many other guys playing well. He's missed some time with the, with the tailbone injury. And then you got uh, Embiid. He was out. He missed 18 games. I saw, a, uh, I saw a graphic that compared Jokic and Embiid in terms of, like, MVP. The only thing that separates Embiid for not winning the MVP this year is those 18 missed games. So the fact that Steph Curry and Bede, you know, LeBron had was mentioned in there before. These guys have missed so much time and we know how valuable they are to their team. But I think it's a two man race being between Jokic and Damian Lillard still, despite the fact that Steph Curry is on a tear because at the end of the day, the Warriors are like ninth in the West. So he's going he's he's playing very well, but they're still nice in the West the Golden state Warriors. Yeah, I think
2: that's that's the big problem. And you can have a really good month, and Steph is having a phenomenal month right now. And he's playing well, and the Warriors are competing. But it's almost one of those too little, too late type of scenarios yeah. where Jokic has been playing incredible all season. Embiid has been playing incredible all season. And those are the two guys that should get the recognition and probably will get the votes for MVP. Steph though it is that recency bias where people are like, "Well, <laughs> he's he's looking like old Steph. He's 33. He's breaking Wilt Chamberlain records with the Golden State Warriors. We'll throw his name in with MVP talk and just see what happens."
0: Yeah, you know that plus 2000. So I've got yeah. somebody probably got in on that too.
2: <laughs> you would imagine people holding their Steph Curry, you know, plus like 4000 MVP tickets right now feeling real good about themselves.
0: speaking of which let's try to make some people some money
2: yes exactly let's let's make some people some money zach for betting corner and i believe we have a new team at the top of our against the spread standings if you're betting nba we have two new teams kind of in the top two we have the memphis grizzlies and we have the new york knicks they're all the top two teams now Who are who are the best against the spread in the NBA? Memphis is 36 and 20. They've won or they have won against the spread 64% of the time, and the Knicks have won against the spread 63% of the time at 36 and 21. You know we've talked about Phoenix, we talked about the Clippers. Utah has been on the top of the list, but seeing Memphis and the Knicks, two teams who have not been at the top of the NBA this season, who have kind of struggled in the mid range of NBA teams. They're winning people some money, and a lot of those reasons as of the last, like, month or two have have been the reason why.
0: You know what's interesting? Do you remember at a point in time in the beginning of the season, the New York Knicks for betting corner were – they had a stretch where they were the best team against the spread. Even though though they were losing, they were covering games at least – so I, I do remember the Knicks being amongst those teams early on in the season. But as of late, the Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies have just played so well, Ben. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. They're 6-4 in the last 10, and they're coming off a loss. But they're two games above five hundred without their number two player, Jaron Jackson. Uh, obviously, John Moran has done the best he could. JV, Valachunas, I like what he's done. Dylan Brooks has continued to shoot the ball well. So this, this late stretch, in their eighth, you know, they're in that playoff, you know, that play-in scenario right now. And I think a lot of teams that are, you know, either seventh or eighth, you know, the Dallas Mavericks, you got the uh, Warriors, you, and including Grizzlies as well. But I think they're all trying to fight for that opportunity to really get that sixth spot that the Blazers currently hold.
2: Yeah. And I know for the Warriors, you know, if they make a couple more late game shots or get lucky in a couple of their games in the past, they're they're close to that 60. They're really pushing the, the blazers for that six spot in the West, but it, it has been impressive to see Memphis find themselves without Jaron Jackson, because that's yeah. a player who we know has the potential to be a really good player to stretch the floor for the Grizzlies and, and a young guy who works well with wow. John Morant. So for him to miss the whole season for the Grizzlies to be this good without him is really promising for how that team can compete. And the fact that they're winning against the spread and they are doing better than people in Vegas think that they can do. That's impressive and and that's that's a feat in and of itself um and the same with the Knicks and I know we always come back to this Ben Heisler who talked to us before the season he said bet the Knicks because they are going to be undervalued Well, here you go. The Knicks are continuing to to ride near the top of the against the spread standings. So it's been great. I mean, if you've been betting the Grizzlies, you've been betting the Knicks. Hopefully you've been betting the Knicks first half, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, because they have been hitting not only against the (laughs) spread in the first half when they've been underdogs, but they've been just straight hitting the money line in the first half when they've (laughs) been (laughs) been underdogs. So, I mean, they they have been phenomenal in in most of the games that they played in and exceeded most of the expectations.
0: Now, we talk all this good stuff about these two teams right here. Now we got this other team. We continuously every week talk bad about, but it's because <laughs> and they deserve they've, it. they've done so bad. But there's another team right now currently that's doing pretty bad too. And I wanted to know where they are and where they stand. That's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes, the Houston Rockets. They've, they're currently bad, nineteen thirty nine against the spread. Yeah, so the Rockets continue, are. Yeah, so continue to bet you know, against the Houston Rockets. But the Thunder, they've lost 11 in a row, Ben. So what's up with them against the spread?
2: Yeah, so right now the Thunder sit, uh, I think they're 20th in the NBA against the spread. You have, if you bet every single game for the spread for the Thunder, you have lost money this season. They are only hitting at about a 45% rate against the spread. They are 26-31-1, and, and they've obviously struggled all season long. And they were a great team to bet on last season, best team against the spread last season to bet on, but that was with Chris Paul, a little bit of a different team. (laughs) Uh, They've struggled with injuries. They're clearly tanking. They're trying to get that high draft pick Lou Dort. His emergence has been fun to watch and he just turned 22. So he's still in the infancy moment of his career right now. So he has a bright future. Um, And you have shake Jill, Alexander who's been in and out of the lineup at points. So this is a team that's working kind of piece by piece. They're they're clearly tanking, trying to get that high draft pick. But they have surprised at some points against the spread. But usually, if you're looking that night at the team they're playing against, they're going to be a double-digit underdog. And that's just the way it's going to be for the Thunder.
0: <laughs> and it sucks because, like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, literally, a year ago... We talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder in the complete okay. opposite manner. And yeah. someone asked me too, Ben. Someone who listened to the podcast. They said, "Well, why don't you guys talk about the Bucks as much as you used to?" Well, you gotta look at it like this: with the Milwaukee Bucks, they're not the same team in terms of dominance, and also they're not a typically a typical favorite right now this season in the East. They're probably like third to come out of the East right now, and you know we haven't really seen PJ Tucker consistently yet in the rotation, and so there are still bits and pieces we have to work out with the Bucks before we continue to talk about them. So I just wanted to mention that too as well.
2: Yeah, the Bucks are—I don't know—I always get uh, kind of angry talking about the Bucks. I mean, not <laughs> not as not as of late, but if we were talking about them February, early March, ooh, boy, I they were so frustrating to bet on. They were frustrating to watch. They were frustrating to see how poorly they could play at points because of how good you think they could be with all the pieces that they have with the coach that they have. They were just a frustrating team. Now they've righted the ship recently. So they've been playing kind of up to par with what a lot of people expect them to play. Now they went into overtime against the Suns, lost that game. They do struggle against really good teams who both are in top 10 of offense and defense. So that's something they're going to have to figure out come playoff time. But the Bucks have kind of just been sailing right now. Giannis has been playing well. They haven't really been bitten too well, badly by injuries.
0: I don't know if you saw last night. Did you see? Did you see the other night with him? Last second, the ball and hit. Ball is in his hand at the top yep. of the key. Lately, that's that's we need to just clarify that right now. That's not the move the Milwaukee Bucks need to make down the stretch yep. of games. Yeah, Giannis having the ball at the top of the key. That's not it because we, the whole defense knows to collapse the paint. Cause he's going to dribble drive. And what does he does? He dribble drives to the lane, loses the ball falls and it's out of bounds. Like you can't have that. Yeah. You got to put him in a position where he can finish and we can already be in position to finish at the rim. And uh, I, I continuously say booting hoser, you know, he had a number one record, like two years in a row, but I still believe he was like the fourth best coach yeah. in the East. He just he had the make best player at the time. Exactly.
2: Yeah. He doesn't make adjustments. So, We'll have to if the Bucks make moves, if they start really competing come playoff time, we'll have to do a segment on just the Milwaukee Bucks and, and see where that goes. All right, let's go to our interview with Caitlin Cooper, the NBA writer with SB Nation. She writes for Indy Cornrows about the Indiana Pacers. So we'll go to that interview now. All right, we want to welcome in the podcast guest for this week. She is a writer for SB Nation, for Indy Cornrows, which is the Indiana Pacers blog for SB Nation. It's Caitlin Cooper. Appreciate you joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you guys.
2: Yeah, we're yes. excited too, and I know the Pacers sometimes aren't talked about a lot, so... <laughs> We'd love to we'd love to get your input on on kind of just the first question for you being what, what are the Pacers this year and I know recently they've struggled with injuries. I think they've lost three of their last four four of their last five, um, but they have, you know, seemingly good pieces when fully healthy. What, what exactly is the Pacers team this season.
1: Uh, an enigma. <laughs> I, I think that they're pretty hard to figure out a lot of the time, to be quite honest. I mean, like you said, right now, watching them play last night against San Antonio, the news comes shortly before that game that Miles Turner now is going to be out indefinitely with a toe injury. Sabonis is out with a back injury. Goga injures hit their third string center. Goga Batadze answers his ankle midway through the game. Doug McDermott returned from an ankle injury and seemed to be hampered midway through the game as well. So it kind of feels like they're just limping to the finish at this point, which which is probably how a lot of teams feel, but just haven't had a lot of opportunity to actually gel throughout the entire season. I mean, you go from having Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren available through the first, you know, only four for TJ Warren, about 10 for Victor Oladipo, that trade happens. Then Karis Levert isn't available. He comes back against Phoenix and they just haven't had their entire unit healthy for very long periods of time. And when they are healthy, they go down to Miami win it back to back you start to feel better about them in comparison to how that matchup looked in the playoffs and then you know they they lose a game to the Wizards without Bradley Beal and then they lose a game to the Hornets and Gordon Hayward only plays half the time and LaMelo Ball is out of the lineup and and then they win string together a few more wins and then they're constantly giving up leads in the fourth so it's a lot to even wrap my head around to be quite honest and I watch most of these games once if not twice so
0: the Pacers they struggled in the fourth quarter, particularly. Yes. Especially maintaining the leads. What do you think the reason is behind that?
1: Yeah, I get asked this question quite often, and I think that it shifts from game to game. Like, if you watched when they played Utah last Friday, they had a 17 point lead in the first half were probably playing some of the most impressive basketball I thought that they had played all season. They come out in the second half, and their strategy in the first was mostly to, they were running a lot of the action at Rudy Gobert, but they weren't really engaging his length. They were using that they drop hit open shots within with like with handoffs and to shoot into that. And then in the second half, they came out and were just like kamikaze driving into his length, which was then leading to threes for Utah at the other end. And then they just start not right running their sets with quite the same amount of precision. That sounds like a little bit of a cliche, but when they don't get into some of their more complicated, they, they can run a lot of loopy action when they don't get into it and really hit the screens and free up their guys. Then you're kind of just running clock for no reason. And, you know, that's just the instance in that game. But I can also point to others. They almost gave up a complete lead against Orlando a week ago, and they just kind of started playing not to lose. I mean, they started isoing out possessions with several minutes still left on the clock. So I don't know why exactly it is that they don't run their offense exactly the same way that they can throughout the first half of a game. But it is interesting. (laughs) I told somebody this earlier today that that when and Victor Oladipo's first season with the Pacers, they had a game where they came back from like 15 points down against the Detroit Pistons. And then that happened like eight more times, eight to 10 more times where they came back from 15 point leads to the point where I started power ranking their crazy comebacks. And now I feel like <laughs> I could power rank the amount of times that they've you know, kind of just fell apart in the fourth quarter. And Mm -hmm. and it felt like back then, like they had a belief that they could come back from those deficits. And now I kind of wonder, is there some sort of a mental block where they get into those moments? It's like, oh no, it's happening again. That if if we weigh that aspect against some of the actual basketball reasons as well.
2: Yeah. it certainly kind of almost seems like that where they're just, it's like a deer in the headlights situation where they're like, oh, well it's coming toward us. We know we're going to give up the lead and there's not much we can do.
1: Yeah exactly
2: so i know you called them kind of an enigma and it's certainly been a weird season for for this team but next season if everyone is healthy and they get tj warren back you can get a full off season with karis lavert how excited should pacers fans be for what this team could possibly be when fully healthy next season
1: Right. So, I mean, yeah, on the surface right there, I think that they have, you know, four to five above average starters, certainly. I mean, depending upon what TJ Warren actually looks like when he's healthy and what some of these other injuries, what Miles Turner's dealing with. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's some degree of a disconnect between the system and what the roster currently is. I mean, Nate mm. York really wants to deploy this very aggressive defensive system that doesn't always suit super well for having two bigs in the starting lineup at the same time, or you'll see that at the end of games. Like I'm very pro. I think they need to finish games with both bigs because you're paying them $18 million a piece and they're both just really talented in very diverse ways. But then if you're pe- playing a small ball lineup, you can see where that gets into trouble and then you're having to lean between a choice and you're kind of wondering if that's a mismanagement somewhat of a money at that point in time. But um, and then they just don't have a lot of guys who are like tenacious on ball defenders. Like, obviously, T.J. McConnell is great at stealing the ball and really playing into gaps. But even he can get overwhelmed at the point of attack because of size. And because of that, because they want to press up and they don't really want to gap the ball handler so much, it leads to them playing with a lot of odd man advantages. They're having to constantly defend in rotation and be defending shots at the rim, which is great when you have a guy like Miles Turner. But I think it's even putting a lot of stress on his ability to press the field goal percentage at the rim, which he's been great at, but that's just asking a lot of your defense. And then you look and they're bottom of the league and offensive opponent, offensive rebounding, rate. I mean, it it contributes to their rebounding issues. So I would say that if they kept the roster exactly the way that it is, that hopefully a training camp to prepare for that type of defense, in addition to the fact that they play box and one and triangle and two and two, three zone, and they, morph constantly between various types of defense that they would be able to get more used to what the system is with all the parts healthy but i would kind of expect that they might need to taper some of that back if they keep the same roster intact
0: how does pacer fans feel about the first year head coach nate Bjorken? i don't want to butcher that
1: (laughs) yeah um (laughs) I think right now there's just a lot of frustration in general. I mean, I think people can look at last season and see that under Nate McMillan that they had more success even while they were dealing with injuries. I would point out that while I think that Nate McMillan is a great floor raiser and did get a lot out of rosters, that they didn't deal with the same two injuries that they've had this year. I mean, I think they only played a couple of games last season where Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren were both out of the lineup and the wing position is certainly important in today's NBA. You see that for the Pacers this year on a regular basis where they're getting lit up by opposing wings because they just don't have a lot of depth at the three, four swing position there. And Nate Bjorkrens had had, I think, around 25 games where he didn't have Oladipo slash Levert plus TJ Warren. So I think that's been difficult to navigate. But to answer your question, yeah, I think there's a lot of frustration with it that they're not at the same place that they were last year. I mean, the Pacers themselves on a press release when they announced that Nate McMillan would be let go put his playoff record On that press release, which I thought was somewhat of a low class move, showing that the Pacers were three and 16 without the context of, you know, by the way, Victor Oladipo didn't play two seasons ago because he was out. And last season, Sabonis was out. But if you're going to put that on the press release and then you don't even make the playoffs yourselves this year, like, I guess you can't lose in the first round if you don't make the first round. But (laughs) I um, like that. I, I, I don't think that that will go over super well if that's how the season ends, but it certainly looks that way. I mean, I, I will counter that. I think a lot of fans have kind of embraced and the Pacers are not going to tank, but if these injuries do linger, I think that that fans will be just fine if they don't make it to the play in tournament and instead get a better lottery pick.
2: So I went to Indiana university. And so I have a lot of Pacer fan friends and I know the the biggest complaint usually from them, other than complaints about B. <laughs> usually is the fact that the Pacers really don't get a ton of attention from the rest of the NBA media and the national sports media. And so Caitlin is someone who writes about them every day and, and covers this team. What's your take on, on the Pacers seemingly being overlooked by a lot of the rest of the NBA media?
1: Well, on a like on a completely selfish standpoint, it's pretty good for me. <laughs> the, the more that people ignore the Pacers, the more people actually come and want to read my stuff because I can fill right. that gap. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's been out there. I think that even for the some of the Pacers themselves, like when you look at um, Miles Turner's Defensive Player of the Year case, like I think Rudy Gobert clearly has a pretty firm grasp on that award, along with Ben Simmons here. But <laughs> but but um. I think that there's probably some frustration that, you know, we're not on national TV as much. People don't see what we're doing or don't pay attention to us. I mean, even Roy Hibbert back in the day had his famous, you know, expletive laden phrase. He <laughs> said, UFFers don't watch us play. So um, I think that there's some among the players that feel that way. But I think when you look over the Pacers, even back clear back when Roy Hibbert and Paul George were still here, like I think they're a team that just plays better when they are overlooked and with their backs against the wall. Anytime they've started to get attention or a little bit success, like they you look fold. at that. <laughs> they kind of So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing.
0: We've seen some injuries to uh, step away from the Pacers for a second. We've seen some injuries. From some of the MVP fa- favorites, some people have missed some time. Who would be your MVP favorite right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm gonna have to side with the majority. I felt pretty strongly that I don't need uh, to overthink and then that it's Nikola Jokic. Is, yeah. is that what you guys are?
2: Yeah, we we yeah. were yeah we were a big Dame Lillard podcast uh, fan favorite for <laughs> for MVP, but it, you know it's hard to overlook Jokic and what he's done.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's just so casually dominant. I mean, that's the best phrase that I can say for him. I try to watch the Nuggets when they're not on the same nights as the Pacers. And I, he just does everything so easily. You'll just look at the box score. And even last night, like him having mm. a bad game is like having, you know, a low triple double <laughs> play that great. And then his entire box score is full. And, and he just makes everyone around him better. I mean, that, again, I use another cliche, but I mean, he's like watching a supercomputer play basketball. Like he, he makes the reads before the defense even shifts. And, and statistically, I just think you look at all the advanced analytics and, and, it, and it all points in the direction of, of he's ahead of the field, but
2: yeah, casually dominant. I've, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase used for him. That's a really good phrase. Cause it describes him so well where like, he just plays almost like nonchalantly, but he hits all the shots.
1: Yeah. I mean, the somber shuffle, the somber shuffle is, is something to
2: be. That's very true. Uh, and final question for you. and, And we talked a little bit about this earlier on the podcast about a lot of these big name players being hurt this year. And we saw, Fred Van Vliet come out and talk about how this season it certainly feels different to him. And I'm sure it feels different to a lot of the players. And obviously with the pandemic and COVID and players getting COVID and and everything like that, certainly a unique season. How do you think this season as a whole will be remembered down the road when we talk about it five, 10 years from now, how do you think we're going to remember this type of season? Is it going to be like, you know, the winner, whoever wins the title, they have an asterisk because of all these injuries and COVID issues, or will it be just kind of viewed as another normal season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not big on the asterisk thing. I wasn't in the bubble, and I'm not now. Like, Obviously, the people are up against a lot of different stakes than they normally would be, but I think teams play who's in front of them, and everybody's has those same things that they're going up against, although some teams have clearly been hit by COVID more than others. But yeah I mean it's almost it's very hard to disconnect yourself from it. I feel like when you're even watching it because you just don't know personally. I mean you never do, but you really don't know what some of these players are going through, just like hearing Jason Tatum here in the past week say that he's having to use an inhaler now and just how mm-hmm. hard it's been for him to be able to get his conditioning back like being able to judge performance without knowing what exactly everyone may be dealing with health wise family wise even with you know, all the other stuff that's just going on with social injustice in our country is really hard to process and separate from just evaluating basketball.
0: We appreciate you, Caitlin, especially that last comment. I especially appreciate you for bringing that up. That is, that is very important. You mentioned that it's very important. Now I want to, we want to know where can the people find you on Twitter and where can they find your work?
1: You can find me on Twitter at C2 underscore Cooper or to search my name, Caitlin Cooper Pacers, it'll probably come up. And then also I write at um, Indy Cornrows, which is the Indiana Pacers site at SB Nation.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Caitlin. We really appreciate it.
1: No problem. I had a good time.
2: All right. Great interview with Caitlin. Always appreciate hearing from her. And I know the Pacers don't get talked about often, so... I'm sure it's good that uh, we're finally talking a little bit of the Indiana Pacers.
0: Yeah, you know, can't go can't go wrong with that. Appreciate Kaylin for stopping by on Points in the Paint podcast with us and make sure, you know, you follow her work on SB Nation, too. She's right, writing good work, great content yeah. about the Indiana Pacers.
2: Yeah, I love her. I mean, she is, in my opinion, one of the best NBA writers out there. I mean, her articles are really good on NBA analysis and strategy, but she makes it really easy to understand, so... If you're trying to get more into NBA strategy and reading about that, definitely go go read her on uh, Indie Cornrows. Uh, but Zach, let's go to uh, Overreaction. Or no. Overreaction. Arnold. It's been a while but since we've done this. We,
0: it has been a while, but this one was relatively interesting, and it it goes a little deep into you know this season and how you know strange it's really been and how uncomfortable it may have been for some of the NBA players. And Fred Van Fleet, he actually came out and said this was the most unpeer year of basketball that he's ever been a part of. Would you agree with that? This has been a bad year of basketball?
2: It's been weird. It's definitely been a little bit weird. And it seems like the players kind of feel that weirdness. And we're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing a compressed schedule. It started later this season, started later than seasons that we've been used to seeing. It's had weird games been canceled, games been switched. You know, it's had just, it hasn't been a consistent season. And I think that's kind of what Fred VanVleet was talking about. Now, from his point of view with the Raptors, they've been having a, uh, an outlier of a bad season. Tampa Bay. (laughs) Yeah. They're playing in Tampa Bay. First of all, they've had issues with Pascal Siakam yelling at the head coach. They've had issues winning games in, in close moments, you know, they they've had their own issues. So from his perspective, being on the Raptors, I understand how this could be a bad and a tough season, But I do think in general, it just kind of felt like a weird season. It's not 82 games. And again, games getting canceled, especially towards the beginning. They were getting canceled left and right. You have teams struggling with travel, quarantine, everything. So I I get that, where it probably seems like for a lot of players, it's been a a weird season.
0: Definitely a weird season, condensed, compact schedule, uh, back-to-backs. But they try to, at least with the logistics of it, they try to at least put teams in a position where, OK, if you play this team, you'll play them again in a couple days. So the travel won't be as brutal. So I think the NBA tried. Listen, it's a business at the end of the day. And he even spoke on that, too. You know, I read the article a little bit. You know, uh, Fred VanVleet he touched on it. You know, he said, you know, we know at the end of the day, this is a business. And so, you know, the, the company has to run accordingly, you know, around this pandemic and around these these times. And so when you have all that, yeah, it'll be uncomfortable, and that's that brings up something that that was very interesting about the bubble that I heard from a former basketball player. And he said the he knew the Clippers couldn't win the championship and couldn't get far once Paul George said what he said about the bubble and it not being like it was too, not necessarily too much for him. But he couldn't like he couldn't grasp hold of what he was comfortable to being inside the bubble. So he so from a competitive standpoint, you know, that was a that was like how I want to describe it. It was kind of like a situation where a team got has like uh, chalkboard uh, notes in a sense. You know, I, you know how they call it like, OK, we got a uh, bulletin board material, you know. So having that on a guy like Paul George, I think that was one of the main reasons why they didn't go far. Yeah. Uncomfortable situation in basketball. You're not used to.
2: Right. It's it's definitely especially with the bubble and and heading into this year with all the pandemic and everything. It's been weird for everyone. And so I would imagine that extends into the NBA and its players and how they do business and everything like that. Now, I'm hoping next season we don't even know when they're going to start. Right. We don't know if it's going to be a December 25th Christmas Day start or if they push (laughs) back the start. We know free agency is going to start August 2nd. So maybe that tells us a little bit more on when the new season is going to start, if they're going to push that out, or if they're going to push that back to a different time. But yeah. next season, hopefully you're going to have fans back. You probably won't need social distancing on the bench. The players aren't going to need to be tested every day for coronavirus. Hopefully by next season, it'll feel a little bit more like the uh, like the normal. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's finish this podcast out, Zach, with what NBA Twitter is talking about this week. What it do, baby? Yeah. And it kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about earlier about Fred VanVleet saying it's been a weird season. Now, we have seen a lot of stars go down with injuries this year. We had Jamal Murray out for the year. Durant got re-injured this weekend after coming back. We, we were seeing Anthony Davis out, LeBron out. You know, all these guys are being injured. NBA Twitter's talking about it. I mean, is this because of the rush season? I mean, I don't know if we could say for sure it's because of the rush season, but people are noticing that a lot of these star players, a lot of people have been getting hurt.
0: The eye test will tell you, yes. The data will tell you, no. Right Now, the the eye test will tell you, okay, yes, look at all these stars who have been out, who have missed at least 10 plus games, right? And not to mention Jamal Murray being out for the year. Anthony Davis, LeBron James. James Harden, Kevin Durant. I'll even put Kyrie Irving on that list, and some of his hasn't even really been injury-related. He's personal issues, you know, whatever the case may be. Jimmy Butler. Uh, I don't think Donovan Mitchell's missed too much time. Uh, C.J. McCollum, a, a valuable piece to that team, whom of which Damian Lillard needs night in, night out, but due yeah. to injury, you know, he's he's out sometimes. We just had a player retire, Look, Marcus Aldridge, he just retired from the game of basketball because of a heart condition. So, yes, these injuries and these these health issues, they have piled up, but the data will tell you that the injuries are actually down 6% from a year before, season before. Yeah,
2: that was the interesting thing. So after all that happened and after people talked about it, and I think this was triggered mostly by that Jamal Murray injury, but the NBA came out and said, well, injuries are actually down 6%. From last year and and from years before, which is which is really surprising. And, you know, I I don't know what they consider injury, if if they consider COVID issues, if they consider that an injury or if that's a completely separate thing, because we've seen guys with COVID issues and we've seen Jason Tatum talking about still having COVID issues and needing an inhaler before games because of COVID. So I don't I don't know where the separation is, but the NBA said injuries are are down six percent this year.
0: And, you know, that – it's just – I think what it, what it really boils down to, Ben, is the simple fact that it's the notable guys, it's yeah. the notable players. You know, Joel Embiid, you know, like we said, Murray, he's out for the year, which is tough. You know, I've really felt bad for Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets because that was a team we had just – finished. we just talked so highly <laughs> of the Denver Nuggets for two weeks. And yeah. then to see a guy like him who played so well and played so well in the playoffs too – go down like that you know it, it was tough and then see Kevin Durant yeah. this with this thigh injury you just want all the guys to be healthy so you can have the like competitive basketball that we want to see so if we do get Lakers in the Nets we want every player to be available 100%
2: yeah I, I was tough to see Jamal go down I was I had high hopes for the Nuggets especially after getting Aaron Gordon I mean we were talking about them being NBA finals contenders and without Murray that's ooh, that's gonna be tough it will be tough even though they they won in double overtime against the grizzlies which was a great fun game jokic went off in <laughs> overtime but there's you know in a in a seven game series you can't keep relying on only jokic and and maybe his chemistry with Aaron Gordon will be enough to win them a series but hey 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 hey, hey. mpj all the way. Yeah,
0: that's, <laughs> you know, that's fair. Uh, it's coming. Listen, it's coming. He's it's time for our guy
2: to step score.
0: up. He's <laughs> continuing. Listen, he's continuing to score. Being, He's getting his 21-22. Remember, yeah. I remember I said he may have to bump it up a little more, about 24-25 a game. But, you know, he's doing his part as of late with him being out. With uh, Murray being out, he's doing his role offensively. Now, we know what he got to do defensively.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh... Got to get better is really the thing that he has to do. His main thing he's got to do defensively. (laughs) Uh, Some other things, NBA Twitter talking about Zion. This happens almost every time there's a superstar in New York. (laughs) Surprise, (laughs) surprise, Zion loves New York. And here come the rumors. Zion Williamson to the New York Knicks when his contract with the Pelicans is up. I don't even know what to say about this because this is this happens all the time. Anyone visits the garden and they say, Oh, I love New York, I love the garden, I love playing in, in the Mecca of basketball. They're going to the Knicks. It's going to happen. That's <laughs> what happening with Zion.
0: I don't think see, I think what people fail to realize is that if you're if, we're, if you're a Western conference team, you're only going to go to the Mecca one time. You're only, gonna, you're only going one time. So to have that opportunity, if you're a Zion, yeah, you're going to take it, you know, full on. It's New York. It's the Mecca, like you mentioned. So, yeah, all of that. But it doesn't mean necessarily he's going to wound up in a New York Knicks uniform. So I think everyone should pump the brakes a little bit on that. Because I think the Knicks, they're brewing something on their own with their, with their current roster. I think yeah. the current roster they have now is going to develop into a consistent playoff team.
2: Yeah, I I agree, and I I mean, the the stat that someone brought up was I don't think any rookie has turned down a max contract offer when offered it after their rookie contract was up. So it would be hard to see Zion turn that turn that big amount of money down from the Pelicans, but we'll see. We'll see if the Knicks can make a play, and the Knicks are always going to be rumored to be the next free agent destination for these big guys because it's New York. <laughs> but maybe they're realistic now because. The team's good and people love Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks are winning. So we'll, we'll have to see.
0: What's up with this Kobe uh, white situation.
2: So I just thought this was very funny. Cause this came out today <laughs> on Tuesday while we were recording Kobe white. Um, the bulls beat the, the Celtics on Monday. Um, mm-hmm. it was a great game for the bulls. They, they look locked. I was in surprised too. I am like a lot. Oh, team. I was shocked.
0: I was, I was surprised that they won that game.
2: Yeah, I, w- I was shocked about that. But apparently uh, this is from Cody Westerland, uh, who's on who's on Twitter. He um, he's an NBA writer. He's a sports editor for 670 The score in Chicago. He said Kobe White said that his brother texted him mid game about Daniel Tice being open off double drags and screens. And White read it at halftime and adjusted his game in the second half to find Tice open. Um, and the Bulls used the second half to to get ahead and win the game. I mean that was a big third quarter for the team to pull ahead and and keep the lead. So I just thought it was really funny. I don't know if it's a good sign or not. that Kobe White brother. What's his brother's name? His brother's name is Will. Will.
0: Will, Will White. Okay. So shout out to Will Wright. Let's get
2: Will Wright on the coaching staff. <laughs> yeah, <there we> go. <laughs> because him. I don't know how no one on the coaching staff was telling him that. I, that's that's my big concern is that no one on the coaching staff told Kobe White this very simple thing that his brother clearly saw on TV. It took his brother texting him in the middle of a game Together, to death change his. What work. if he don't
0: check, So listen. What if he doesn't check his phone, right? So if he doesn't check his phone, <laughs> then what, he just Tyson's just gonna be continue to have his hands up because I saw the photos. He's gonna continue to have his hands up wide open, like, I'm right here. But that just goes to show you, like you know, the Bulls need a guy like Zion. Zion, he. I mean, not Zion, Lonzo. They need a guy like Lonzo because with a guy like Lonzo, you will not be missed.
2: (laughs) I would love Zion too, but yeah, having, having a true point guard, a pass first point guard, you're not going to miss Daniel Tice, but that's a great point. If Kobe's not checking his phone at halftime, the Volts might lose that game. Who's, who's to say at this point? Listen,
0: Will White, he need to get paid. He need need to be on the staff, shooting coach or something. He got to do something, man. (laughs) But that's going to conclude this edition of points in the paint podcast. Zach Badgerhouse and my main man, Ben Wittenstein. We appreciate you all listening to Points Pain. Make sure you subscribe and listen and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And also, make sure you listen to Trash and Treasure. They drop every Thursday great content as well. Also, my main man, Shams, dropping Sham Bombs. We don't know what those other bombs are in the NBA, but we know what Sham Bombs are. So make sure you follow Shams on Twitter and you follow Stadium on Twitter for all your sports content all around the world. And you'll hear from us next week.